Thank you for listening to the podcast from the Crestview Baptist Church. Last week we had some technical difficulties, so my sermon from the book of Galatians in the morning was not recorded. This sermon is from our evening series. We've been looking at the book of Ezekiel in a series titled That They May Know. This passage is from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 25 through 31. It's called A Covenant of Peace. I hope you enjoy. Ezekiel 34. Tonight we're going to talk about a covenant of peace. Ezekiel chapter 34. If you'll remember, last week Ezekiel uh, is prophesying against the shepherds of Israel because they fed themselves. They, instead of taking care of the sheep, they were only looking after their own interests. Instead of helping and dealing with God's people in the way that God wanted to, caring for them, providing for them. Instead, they provided for themselves. They got rich off of the oppression of the poor. They ate the fat ones themselves instead of feeding the sheep. They, ironically, the things that you think they would do to just preserve themselves and keep their own situation good, they ended up fighting against themselves even to the point that God said, enough is enough. I am going to destroy the bad shepherds and I'm going to take care of my sheep. I am going to be their shepherd and I am going to lead them and I am going to rescue them and I am going to do for them like I have set out to do. And on the tail end of this chapter, God makes this promise to them. Listen to Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 25. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, The house of Israel are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Pray with me. Father, as we look at your covenant of peace, pray that you would speak to us through your word change our hearts. Help us to realize just how awesome you are. Help us to see you. God, I pray in this time you would be with us to do your will 
and your work. In Christ's name, amen. God is going to make a covenant of peace. If you look back up in verse 25, you see very, at, the, at the very start of this section, I will make with them a covenant of peace. Now, a covenant involves two parts. Two parties are involved in a covenant. There's, there's party A and party B, if you will. There's the person who initiates the covenant, that's God, and the person who responds in covenant. That would be Israel in this case. Before we get into what Israel's role is and what I think our role is, I want us to first look at this covenant from God's perspective. What does God say that he is going to do through this covenant? So God's part of the covenant. This is what we're going to look at first. Look, um, see, before, before, I, before I get into this particular verse, let me, let me kind of set the biblical narrative. Covenant is a way of establishing a relationship. In the ancient world, you didn't have a relationship just based on fellowship, so to speak. Like, you didn't just have a big meal. Um, you would do it legally, formally, in the, same, in, the, in the means of a covenant. A covenant would be between kings that would establish that two nations would not go to war together, a treaty. Or it would be between a, a, a bigger nation a stronger nation with a strong army and a weaker nation. The weaker nation would say, we'll give you taxes, we'll give you tributes, and your army will protect us. The Suzerain Vassal Treaty, if you've ever heard of that, the idea is that the, the one in charge, the Suzerain, makes pledges to protect, pledges to not harm a vassal a weaker state, and that weaker state would pledge their allegiance and loyalty and usually their money to buy the suzerain's protection. Sometimes it would be if you rescued someone from a dangerous situation that they would owe you. And so you would establish a covenant. It might be that a nation was going to attack you, but another nation comes to your defense and so you make a treaty with that nation that says, all right, I'll give you my loyalty if you will protect me. That's kind of what this treaty is like. This covenant of peace is one where God, who is obviously the suzerain, obviously the one in charge, obviously the more powerful party, is making promises of protection and provision for a weaker party, a party that cannot do these things on their own. This isn't the first time God's established a covenant with men. Look in Genesis 17, 7, what he says to Abraham. This is not going to work tonight. Hang on a second. Nope. Okay, we're gone. All right. Forget the PowerPoint then. Genesis 17, 7, just listen to me. Uh, just listen to the verses as I read them. This is with Abraham. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. He makes this same promise to Isaac. Sojourn in this land, Genesis 26, 3. And I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. 
Skip forward a, a few centuries to a man named David. God makes His promise to David. This is in 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish His kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. And then down in verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So He's establishing a covenant. He covenants with Abraham. He covenants with Isaac. He covenants with Jacob, saying, I, I've been the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will be with you too. He covenants with David, as we just read, that your throne will be established forever. Your descendants will remain on the throne. Now we know that there's a condition to these covenants. They have to obey God. They have to follow through on their end of the bargain. But God says, this is the covenant I'm making with you. With Solomon, David's son. 1 Kings 6.12 Concerning this house you are building, this is the building of the temple, if you walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. Do you, do you see this theme? God establishing covenant even with people who broke His covenant. If you look a little bit earlier in Ezekiel chapter 16, you'll see God establishing a covenant with the people of Israel, even though they break His covenant. Listen to this. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant, yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. And I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways. And be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant that I give you. Right. Not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded. And never open your mouth again because of your shame. Even though, even though they don't deserve it, God still says, I'm going to renew my covenant with you anyway. And it's going to be to your shame because you didn't keep it. You're going to look at yourself and say, who am I that I deserve this? The psalmist wrote, who was man, mind to love him, the son of man. Who are we that God would even care enough to establish a covenant with us? This is the God who covenants with men and upholds His promises. It's a big deal that God would choose to covenant with men. No other nation, you've heard me say this before, no other nation had a covenant with their gods. So, let's look at the covenant. And let's ask, what's God's part? What does God do in this covenant? First thing he says is, I'll banish the beast. Look back in verse 25. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Now, I have a question. How many of you have ever slept in the woods? On camping or anything? Yeah? Um, do you get worried when you start hearing howling? Or growling? 
or rattling. Rattling. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Rattling, yeah. God says you're not going to have to worry about the animals. Now, what kind? Who can control wild beasts? I mean, that's why they're called wild beasts. God can. And God says, I'm going to establish my covenant with you, and you ain't even going to have to worry about wild creatures. You're not going to have to worry about the rattlesnakes, or the bears, or tigers, or mountain lions, or wolves. You're not going to have to worry about any of those, because I am going to take care of those for you. Think about how incredible that is. That's not something you do. Like that's not that's not something we can pull off. I mean, we can try to keep animals away. You ever tried to keep cockroaches out of your house? Some of y'all are like, well, there better not be a cockroach in my house. Come to my place. We live in the woods. You don't get rid of cockroaches. You just get them to hide better. That's <laughs> that's all you do. God says, you won't have to worry about the wild beasts. I will take care of them for you. That is an astonishing thing. Talk about, talk about covenant of peace. You're not going to have to worry about wild animals. So that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. They're not going to have a care. Because they know that God's in control. Not only will I banish the beast, I'll make the blessings. Verse 26. I will make them in all the places around my hill a blessing. Now, did you catch that? He says two things. He says, I will make them. What's them? Go back into verse 25. I will make with them a covenant of peace. The people of Israel are them. He says, I will make them a blessing. But not only that, I will make all the places around my hill a blessing. Now when God's talking about his hill, what's he talking about? I'm sorry? Mount Zion. You know what, the, one of the most common, one of the thing, one of the most common descriptions that God uses for Jerusalem is my holy hill. He says, this land that, I'm, that, that, that you've been given and now you've been exiled from, I'm going to make that a blessing. Now, if you, if you look around Jerusalem, there's some pretty fertile areas right around Jerusalem. But then after that, there's not much. A lot of it is, is wilderness type of territory. You've got some great olive groves and you've got some beautiful places on the sides of mountains, but you also got some... Very difficult places to grow things. God's saying, when I make my covenant with you, I'm going to take what, what is right now arid and dry and unusable, and I'm going to make it amazing. Beautiful, luscious. How do I know he says that? Because later on in the book of Ezekiel, he talks about the renovation of the tabernacle. And what he says in, I think it's chapter 47, is that the Dead Sea becomes fresh water and there's loads of fish in it. In fact, where, where is that? 47. Oh, where does he say that? Y'all. I mean, you can see, you can see the, the um, there we go. 
So Ezekiel sees this water coming out of the temple. And it's uh, verse 1. The water was flowing down from the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate that faces the east. And behold, water was trickling out on the south side, going eastward with a measuring line in his hand. The man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. And again he measured a thousand and led me through the water. It was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water. It was waist deep. And again he measured a thousand. It was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in. A river that could not be passed through. And then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the Arabah, a wilderness. The Arabah is a wilderness. And enters the sea, the Dead Sea, y'all. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh, and wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. You know, today, nothing lives in the Dead Sea. It's too salty. That's the impact that God is having on His people and on the land of His people. He's turning the saltiest place on earth into a vibrant spring full of life. Here, grab your fishing poles. Let's go. I don't even fish and I want to go fish. How about that? That's how great this is. God says, I'm going to make the blessing. I will send down the showers in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. You sang that last week. I thought, when I saw that, and I saw the passage on it, Ezekiel 34, 26, it's in the hymn book. You can actually see that, that, that verse is in the hymn book on that hymn. When I saw that, I thought, oh, that's perfect. I'm going, I'll be there next week. That's perfect. So, showers of blessing. That's where it comes from, y'all. God says, I'm going to make the blessings. And I'm not just going to make a few of them. There's going to be showers of them. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing. You know, I, I felt some mercy drops. Pleading for showers. Aren't you? Not like, well, he do that. He says, I'll send the rain. Uh, verse 26, and I will make them and all the places around my hill a blessing. I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. Man, everything you need, I'm just going to pour it out on you. <laughs> pour it out on you. Y'all saw how, how it was raining earlier. God says, that's, that's, just wait till you see my blessings fall. This, this, this is a good passage. This is, this is the passage that we like, right? Not only that, I'll grow the crops. Look in verse 27. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Do you remember back in Genesis 3, the ground is cursed. And what, is, what does God tell Adam? What judgment does God give Adam? Go ahead, say it out. You remember? He'd have to struggle to bring forth fruit. To make a yield, he'd have to struggle. Yeah. Not that it wouldn't yield at all, but man, it's going to be hard work. But listen to, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree, 
which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return from the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And here he says, And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase. That's what he said. And undo the curse. You see, because when God is establishing this covenant, He's not just dealing with the effects of sin, He has dealt with the sin itself. Chapter 34 gives us a description of God making the wrong things right, and now that He's made the wrong things right, He can pour out His blessings like never before. And they shall be secure. Not only that, I'll protect you from harm. Verse 28. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beast of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. Men won't make them afraid. Animals won't make them afraid. They're not going to be harmed by other nations. Nations that might, let's just say, destroy Jerusalem and take them into exile? Don't you think that rung a bell with this crowd? Miles and miles away from home by the river Kabar in Babylonia? Don't you think these people who are exiled by a foreign nation that had its thumb over that part of the world, don't you think those words sounded so sweet? that one day they would not be the prey of nations. I'll protect you from harm. They shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid. Not only does he protect them from harm, he feeds the masses. Looking Verse 29, I will provide for them renowned plantations. No, that's not the fruit plantation. That's the that's that's the, the the home on a plentiful field. I love I love that because I picture you picture antebellum south, the old plantations, the, the large houses with these acres and acres and acres of beautiful orchards leading up there or or um, tons of land, fruitful, just growing all kinds of vegetables or fruits or whatever. That's the picture I get in my mind. I, I, and I get God saying, I will provide for them renowned plantations. When they walked into Israel for the first time, you know what God told them? He said, I'm giving you this land. I'm giving you these houses you did not build. This fruit you did not plant. For you to enjoy. God said, I'm going to do it all over again. Except this time he's dealt with the problem. This time he's dealt with the sin problem that messed up the first time. This time everything is going to work right. And they shall no more be consumed 
hunger in the land. Remember Jesus' words, the hunger you always have with you? Well, one day, we won't have the hungry with us. That doesn't mean he's getting rid of the hungry. He's getting rid of the hunger. I also remember Jesus saying something about blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. But they should be filled. Not only is he dealing with physical hunger, he's dealing with spiritual hunger too. Don't you know that when God establishes his covenant of peace, he's not just providing for the basic physical necessities of life. He's providing for all of their necessities. They will no longer suffer the reproach of nations. He's going to give Israel honor. This is where I kind of have to draw a line here because part of me wants to say this applies to the church. But in a particular way it applies to Israel. All of these things that God is doing, I, I believe that God is doing for Israel and also for the church. Because He's doing it for His people. This one, there's something special about Israel. There's a special place in God's heart for that nation. And this one here, I, I, I'm not going to say God's not going to honor all of the saints. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's just a special honor that comes from being God's people. And don't ask me to explain it any more than that. I just know that God's heart still beats for them. And it always will. And there's coming a day when he makes all things right. He's going to take his people. And he's going to do something with them that's even better than what I'm going to get. And you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I'm not the type that will tell you that America is the greatest nation in the history of the world. Therefore, God should honor America because America is great. I'm the one that will tell you that yes, America is great and wonderful and God will honor us when we stick to the principles upon which we were founded. But, there is a special place of honor for Israel. And I'm not just talking about the geopolitical one. I'm talking about the sons of Abraham, the sons of faith. That's God's part. All of that is God's part. That's a lot. I'm going to keep the beast from attacking you. I'm going to make all these blessings for you. I'm going to send the rain. I'm going to grow the crops. I'm going to protect you from harm. I'm going to feed the masses. I'm going to give Israel honor. All of that is God's part of the covenant. Let's look at Israel's part. I was... I struggled whether to do this um, as one or two because um, they're pretty much the same thing in different directions. I broke it up into two. Israel has two parts. God has a bunch of parts. Israel has two parts. First, know that I'm God. Verse 27. Go back to verse 27. It's talking about the trees yielding their fruit, the earth yielding its increase. They should be secure in their land. Listen to the second half of the verse. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. 
they shall know that I am the Lord. Look down in verse 30. He repeats this idea. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, with them. That's another thing God's doing. He's present among His people. That's another part of His covenant. I didn't even mention that earlier. And their part is to know. Just know that I'm God. And then to know that you are my people. Look at the second half of verse 30. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. Here's what I want you to do, Israel. Know that I'm God. Know that you're mine. And then in verse 31, he just boils it all down. And you are my sheep. Human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord. Lord God. Um, this is, this is kind of interesting. Uh, sometimes you see God, Elohim. Sometimes you see Lord, Yahweh. This is Yahweh, Elohim. Almost as if he's saying, the God. So Israel's part. Know that I'm the Lord. Know that you're my people. I want to take a step back from Israel and consider our perspective. This is yet coming for the church. Um, I, I, I I am fully aware that God has not banished wild beasts yet. And that God has not, well, he has sent the rain. <laughs> but not the kind of rain he's talking about. There is a future element to this. There's a past element that God has already started working in and among his people. God has already started bringing it to fruition. But there is a future element of this, an element that, that God has not fulfilled yet. And so for our perspective, being people of God, what's it going to take to bring this covenant to pass? Well, first of all, he's going to do it when he's ready, so you, you just you just forget trying to rush him. Anybody ever try to rush God? Anybody tried to rush God? Come on, raise your hands. Yes, you have. Anybody ever been successful? No. No, that's where all hands go. <coughs> God's going to do it in His time. But I want it now. But I want it now. Exactly. <laughs> Hurry up. I'm tired of waiting. And what ends up happening, what ends up happening is that we lose faith in the one who's faithful. So our role, our role is to trust. God's going to do His work in His time. Our role is just simply to trust. And one day, when He goes to make that covenant complete,
complete. And he actually fulfills all of these things. Then we'll step into our role to knowing he's God. Knowing we're his people. What's amazing is, in the meantime, we can already start on that road, can't we? We can already recognize who God is and put trust in Him. Being His people, not just, not just people that talk about Him, not just people that, that know about Him, not just, not just people that, that take comfort in Him, but people who trust Him, who stake our very lives on he said, you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God. And as we just read yes, last week, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. That is enough. You're my sheep. Trust in me. That's all. Let's pray. God, it's so much easier to trust in you when we have all the answers, when we have everything put together the way that we think it ought to be. God, it's so much easier to trust in you where we see all the pieces falling, in, falling into place. God, if you just give us a roadmap, if you just, just, here's a list of the steps we're going to do. A map. There you go. Turn left here. Turn right there. Your destination will be up ahead. God, it would be so much easier, but Lord, it would be so much less fruitful. We're your sheep. So it doesn't matter where you lead us. You're our shepherd. We'll follow doesn't matter that we're going down into that ravine. You're our shepherd. We'll follow. It doesn't matter that you're carrying us through this valley of shadows. God, you are our shepherd, and we will follow you. Your voice is sweet. Your reign is benevolent. So, Lord, we trust you with our lives. Help us trust you more every day. So that one day, when you make everything right and establish your covenant for all eternity, we eagerly await what you have to do. And we anxiously await your instructions that we may obey. Father, shape us to be the people you want us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.